Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. Just a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, giving it a positive review on iTunes or other podcast apps is a huge help and much appreciated. Thank you. Also, if you have any feedback or questions, you can reach me at info at centraliswine.com. That's info at C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. Here's a question for you. Would you make or sell wine if you didn't have access to organic fruit? I know that's a very hypothetical question, but it does get at the core values I'm trying to promote with the Organic Wine Podcast. Because the secret truth is, this isn't a winemaking podcast. It's a farming podcast. While as a winemaker, I'm personally fascinated by learning a lot of different winemaking techniques, styles, and chemistry, and sharing them with you, I really couldn't care less if you make a strict 00 wine or if you pitch yeast and add 100 parts per million sulfur. The choices we make in the cellar impact wine flavor, sure. But these are mere preferences. The choices we make in the vineyard impact the global ecosystem and the health of all humans and life living in it. Farming choices are moral choices. To me, they are on a completely different and more profoundly important level than how you make your wine. So if you care so much about the farming that your answer is no, you wouldn't make wine if you didn't have access to organic fruit, then you're probably someone I'd like to get as a guest for this episode. Please get in touch. (laughs) My guest for this episode is Paul Dolan. As winemaker and then president at Fetzer Vineyards, and now being involved in many projects related to regenerative organic wine and farming, Paul Dolan has always been a pioneer leading the industry towards a more sustainable future. While at Fetzer, Paul proved to the California wine industry that wineries and grape growers can preserve and enhance their environment, strengthen their communities, and enrich the lives of their employees without sacrificing the bottom line. He introduced Bonterra, the first nationally distributed wine made with 100% organic grapes, placing Fetzer at the forefront of organic viticulture, with over 2,000 acres of wine farmed organically. Paul's experiences at Fetzer led him to publish True to Our Roots, Fermenting a Business Revolution, a book that I read and recommend. (laughs) It sets forth the simple but powerful management principles that enabled Fetzer to become one of America's best-known wineries and an exemplar of sustainable business practices. Through his leadership at the California Wine Institute, Paul introduced the Code of Sustainable Wine Growing and chaired the Institute from 2006 to 2007. He also served on President Clinton's Council on Sustainability, Businesses for Social Responsibility, and the Climate Group. He was chairman of the California Sustainable Wine Growers Alliance and received the Environmental Business Leader of the Year Award from the California Planning and Conservation League in 2006. Paul has become a spokesperson and practitioner of regenerative wine growing. He serves on the board of the Regenerative Organic Alliance and farms his family-owned Dark Horse Ranch as a multifaceted, certified biodynamic vineyard and regenerative farm, and as a founding partner of Truett Hurst Winery. He is constantly seeking to enhance his understanding of the restorative capacity of the soil and the farm and its relationship to the restoration of the health of the planet's ecosystems. Enjoy. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be with you. It's a it's a real pleasure and and an honor. I mean, I've been doing the Organic Wine podcast now for a couple of years, uh, over a couple of years, and I, I think if if there's anybody who should be a, should have been a guest on this by now, it's you. <laughs> um, and uh, you know anybody who I think uh, if we're talking organics and Cal in California, I feel like you are the person to talk to. Can you? Yeah, I will have read your. You, I, I will have introduced you, like I said. Um, but th- there's so many ways we could we could approach this. I just wonder where you are in your life now. What what you're caring about? What you're you, you're you're working with Truett Hurst. You've got your own dark horse ranch where you're doing, I believe, some viticulture there as well. What's what's on the plate right now that's really exciting you? That you're that is, you know, what you're all about. What you want to talk about. Well, I, I just would mention two things. One is that uh, farming and farming organically um, 
and what I would say regeneratively, organically, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, yeah. is, um, is really, really intriguing and, you know, continues to unfold. Uh, I, I use biodynamic practices for a long time. I was, I chaired the board for Demeter and um, they had a wonderful uh, several years and just exploring uh, bi biodynamic farming and reading Steiner and others and which really opened up my eyes to um, a whole different way of looking at the farm really more from the uh, the spiritual side or the spirit side um, Steiner's Steiner was you know one of those polymaths and he he um, he spoke more often from uh, or less often from the the physical side and more often from the spirit side so he he saw things really very different than the the world of agriculture does today and um, yeah. so it was uh, it was a great place for me to um, build a, a new a new foundation for engaging with al uh, agriculture where I am today um, along with the farming is working with the regenerative organic Alliance. And I, um, I really think I've, I've found a home there now. Um, they say, you know, it's like my sort of maybe my, my fourth or fifth career um, <laughs> engaging in um, always, you know, my, uh, I can't say all my life, but a good part of my life is really engaging in, you know, how I can make a difference, not only in the industry, but also uh, in, in the, in the um, sector of agriculture, but also uh, uh, trying to create a shift in the sustainability of the planet, um, full well knowing that we're using more of the natural resources on the planet than the planet can, pr can provide. So the, but what I really like about the regenerative organic, it really, I think it really speaks to farmers um, in, a, in a very different way. It opens up, new conversations and new thinking that um, where biodynamics really didn't. And uh, albeit it is on a platform of organic, uh, which that in itself also is, is somewhat of a deterrent for some of the, some conventional farmers. But this whole movement to regenerative um, is, is nice to see. And I think it's piquing farmers' interest and curiosity um, more and more and more so. And um, so I think uh, so. That, 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 that's my that's my work now. And I'll put it in this context, Adam, is that I think there's this opportunity, and particularly with this organization that I work with, the Regenerative Organic Alliance, is to kind of reframe agriculture, re recreate a new narrative for agriculture. You know, they, I'll kind of suggest that the, 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 the um, foundation for agriculture is really about the reductive approach. It's built on, on chemical farming. It's built on, um, uh, you know, single products, focusing on them. Uh, uh, with uh, you know lots of lot lots of synthetic fertility, uh, monocropping, um, maximizing productivity, and it just sort of ignores everything else. And when you when you're you know I've sort of been raised in this um, philosophy that diversity is 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 really really critical you find yourself in this more biological approach mm. to farming that uh, uh, creates a whole new, whole new challenge, but also requires a whole new language um, for people to step into because it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit scary and, and it's a, a it needs to be a language that's different than the current agricultural language that we have today in order to um, invite people into the conversation, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to, it's, it, it is hard, I think, because it is coming at um, our objectives from a very different perspective than has been conventional agriculture for the last, you know, so many years. I, I you know, I, 
in talking about organics, I, I should say that I, I sort of joke that this podcast has probably become something much bigger than just organics because it's, you know, I, I quickly realized organic is just that that threshold that you cross as you're heading over uh, into this other end of the spectrum. Um, and now, really, I am enjoying exploring coming at things from, from that other end of the spectrum of uh, really like, I think what... what the way I would put it is so much agriculture is seems like it is geared toward erasing or, or sterilizing an ecosystem so that our crops, our desired crops can grow in a more laboratory like environment. So where, where our intentions and our, our programs are, you know, sort of put on a blank slate, so to speak, rather than in, working with an ecosystem that exists and finding its own abundance and enhancing it to better provide for human desires. Does that ring true with your experience and what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have sort of and, a metaphor that I use. It's like I say, raising a organic or biodynamic vine is like raising a child in the sense uh -huh. that when we raise our kids, and I think of my daughter when I when I say this. My, my daughter's name is Sasakaya. Uh -huh. She's named after that, you know, amazing winery in, 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 in yeah. uh, Italy. And I won't go through that story, but well, that's a beautiful uh, name, anyway. Regardless of yes, <laughs> its connections. And, yeah. And in raising her, you know, we we quickly realized that we really couldn't uh, really move her in any particular. Uh, direction really what, what we could do is contribute to the environment that she grew up in mm. so we wanted to create this healthy environment you know good good foods or organic ideally um, um, nice schools or healthy schools she actually went to a Waldorf school for a while um, the uh, the opportunity to meet meet uh, you know meet, meet, meet good kids live in nice neighborhoods have the opportunity to pick and choose with Whatever she wanted, you know, whether it's uh, sports or, um, or 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 music, um, any of the arts, and but at the end of the day, you know, the greatest hope was that she be fully expressed. So we were focusing on the space in which she grew up and her making her own decisions, and it's the same thing I, I'd suggest that for the grapevine. So rather than focusing on the vine itself. It's really focusing on the space in which the plant grows. So providing a lot of diversity, flora and fauna, whether it's what nature provides or adding domestic animals into the, into the farm. And, and also f focusing um, a, a lot on, on the soil and, and that the life energy and the life forces and the complexity of, of life um, there's such that the vine sends its roots down deep and it's really extracting the expression of that place, fully extracting the expression of that place without the interference of chemicals, but where you're, you're, you're feeding it, you're, you're thinking of it as, as, a, as, a, as an entity in and of itself. And um, so that it... Um, uh, so that it, you know, re recognizing that it has a has a personality that we would say terroir, but uh, I'm suggesting that it's uh, something sort sort of bigger than terroir or more of expanded um, description of, of terroir that really takes into these into into consideration these life this life forces these life forces so. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, once again, our greatest hope is that uh, those vines are fully expressed. Yeah. They, uh, the, 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 the maximum of expression that we could possibly hope for. And as, uh, as wine makers, wine growers, that's the ultimate because that's, uh, that, that's, what we, that's what we look for. That's what we search for. Uh, no, no matter where we might buy grapes or source grapes or grow grapes. Yeah, I really, I mean, there's so many things in that. Does this element of 
does that get at the spirituality that you were talking about? This sort of idea that I, I imagine <laughs> that you who have had lots of experience at a sort of you know corporate level wine business, uh, at, you know one of the biggest companies in the U.S. and in that wine world, I, I imagine, and working with the farmers that you work with at the scale that you're working with, this idea of spirituality is probably less popular. <laughs> and and I'm wondering how, but but you know, and and I I feel this too, which is like that there is that part of me that is like wants to be science based, wants to be evidence based, wants to see data, you know, wants to base decisions on that. But then knowing that nature is so complex, it we could literally never understand all of the connections that are happening at one time. We could never replicate them. We could never explain them. There's this sort of, you know, I like to use the word magic rather than spirituality because spirituality can be, I don't know, magic can be loaded as well. But I, it's that something that is beyond our, our, our ability to understand, whether it's, you know, understandable or not, it, it's maybe understandable in pieces, but not as a totality because of the complexity and size of it. Um, is that, I mean, can you speak to that at all? Is that what you're getting at a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, I think, I think it kind of rephrase it a little bit. And yes, I do talk about spirituality in the farm. <laughs> in fact, I've got a, a group of speaking to, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know, end of next month, I guess about just just about that because that was their particular request but uh i i put it in the context of farming and service of life mm -hmm. so the yeah the life of the vine the life of the microbes the life of the flora and the fauna those elements at the end of the day if you, if you're if you're in tune with that you're also in tune with what the vine wants to say. So I, I, I'm going to use a couple different, a, a couple additional metaphor, additional metaphors here. Is that um, I I say the vineyard's like a living organism mm -hmm. in the sense that it has a, a respiratory system, a circulatory system, a nervous system, a digestive system, and the the uh, the nervous system really is the farmer, and the farmer's role is to listen for what the farm wants to say or the vineyard wants to say. How does it really want to express itself? Because the you know the farm can't do that itself. You know it can't it can't build the framework. It's not a natural system, so to speak. It's in nature. But it's not like a redwood forest that you don't have to worry about the redwood forest. It's it's in charge. It's figured it out. It's been doing it for a couple thousand years or more, um, and it's self-sustaining. But in a in a in a farm system, we have we have to have this so-called uh, farmer listener that 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 works with the farm and listens for what it wants to be any more than the child. And in that uh, in that dynamic, the, this you know, respiratory system, I say that at the farm breathes uh, out in the morning and in back at night. So this, mm. this you know, it's breathing out of the soil and into the atmosphere, and then from the atmosphere back in. And then the same thing um, during the moon cycles. Same, same, same thing. The levity and the gravity that comes as a result of those changes in the moon cycles, and then of course uh, on a on an annual basis with the seasons. So out in the spring and back back when so we're in the we're in the uh, the the uh, down into the earth phase in this uh, in this fall season. So the vines are going through its dying cycle. And the energy is moving back into back into the soil. the The circulatory system in the in the vineyard or on a farm. I use the terminology farm um, when I'm when I'm speaking of vineyards because sure. yeah. you like me. We've got all these other living forces on the farm, whether it's um, 
feral cats or chickens or sheep or uh, goats and uh, etc. So the uh, those uh, so that that that's uh, that energy um, that that comes as as a result of the um, that that cycle of the of, of that of that of that flow of the the breathing process, the circulatory system is really organized around water movement. So, like on our bodies, it's it's blood. That's a circulatory system. So the health of that, and you know, that's why you know doctors do these gazillion uh, different tests in, in order to make sure that the the blood system is healthy and viable. So the same thing with with water. We we can pay attention to every farm's different. Um, every vineyard's different. You know, I have one. My my home my home vineyard, Dark Horse Vineyards, is a hillside. It's got about a seven hundred foot elevation from bottom to top. And so the water has a particular movement as it goes through, as it goes through the soil and makes its way down and into the pond or into the creek, whichever way it's going, or or deep down in, into the roots of the vines. And that's a that's a critical um, critical thing to know about and, and critical piece to understand, um, particularly when you know a lot of our um, a lot of our focus is in the health of those microbes or invertebrates. Maybe we can talk a little bit about invertebrates too. Um, and then, and then the other piece is the digestive system. So, the 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 microbes digesting of organic matter in the soil is a really really critical thing to know and understand and and support by virtue of using other either animals grazing in the vineyards and you know they're fertilizing by virtue of the the manure that they're laying down or the the uh, cover crops maybe with the uh, uh, the green manure that comes as a result of the you know this big green kind of floral mass that's created and then of course the nitrogen that finds its way down into the roots of the of the uh, cover crop and then eventually is released into the soil for the grapevine itself or the compost, which is a it really is a very significant and important way of restoring the maybe that that's uh, that the soil that's that's lost as a result of the rains and the rainfall, and um, but also it's a sort of a jump start. It gets the it gets the the biome in the, in the ground um, can re-energized and 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 diversified. Um, and uh, so that that digestive system that comes above the ground with the animals, um, with the invertebrates beneath the ground, and then of course all of the the microbial activity. Um, so those are the that's how I that's how I look at the, that's how I look at the farm now, and that's yeah. how we engage as to what we think's necessary for a particular block for a. You know, certain cat, you know, Cabernet block in a particular area that uh, isn't on a particular rootstock and has a particular uh, uh, orientation uh, to the mountain. Um, those are those are important components inside of what, you know what we call terroir. But there's there's so many other so many other dynamics that are critical to consider consider. You know, particularly with climate change, you know, climate change is like, yeah. holy smokes, that's a, a real, real, real game changer. So uh, building structures that help the, the vine be more resilient. And and I don't think that there's much more we can do probably than finding ways to um, build that resilience uh, both above the ground and then below the ground such that the vine can find what it needs on an ongoing basis and it becomes sort of somewhat self-sustaining, self-regulating, um, uh, which is just the, the absolute most ideal situation. Yeah. Well, well there's a couple of things. I, I read your book last night, True to Our Roots. Um, oh, wow. About, about the time at Fetzer. <laughs> um, 
which was a great read and really I'd recommend it for anybody in wine and uh, in wine, the wine business. I, there's a couple things from it. One of which is what you were just talking about. I, I guess I really enjoyed this idea of, I mean, you mentioned us farmers as part of that vineyard in the sense that we're, we're just one of the systems. Um, in that sense, we're part of that terroir as well. And our human culture is part of that. Is it, I guess maybe how that relates to what, what I thought about from your book was, is this something that you can see at scale, at the, at the scale that, you know, a Fetzer works at? Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really see any problem with it. I mean, what one is organic farming is, is, is fairly easy. Um, and uh, when you add in the regenerative, that that's easy too. And we're discovering more and more uh, practices and techniques that uh, that make it make it uh, more comfortable for the farmer to to to, to realize that they can. Um, they can farm organically, whether it's on a large scale or a, or a small scale. Uh, the uh, you know we 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 were we we've been, we were born into a system that is a different kind of system. It's the conventional system, the the, the reductive type approach that calls you to believe that the only way to do it is to go to, go into the shed and pull a chemical off the shed in order to deal with this insect or that insect. Where there's this um, this area that we have to this um, let me see this uh, we have to we have to build an understanding and appreciation of, of of another way the biological way now what I what I would say is from from that perspective you know we're really not not there yet I mean the, the it took I don't know hundreds of years to and develop and build the, the conventional system, and it, it's going to. It won't take as long, I don't believe. I just read a quote from Alan York, who was sort of the famous mentor in, in that regard of biodynamics, as, as well as this concept of regenerative. Um, it won't take as long as it did to build the conventional system as it will for the um, for the biologic because because we have so many more tools that are available to us and we, uh, we can, I think we're going to be more quick to adopt uh, the, these, these other, these new practices that are starting to show up. Some of them I, that I mentioned. So I, yeah, I think it, um, I think it's fine on the, I mean, I took a 500 acre piece of property in, um, gosh, it was probably 95. Um, and it was very hilly. <laughs> it was like my guys, my the my my, my farm team, farming team. That really can't we just use Roundup like one or two years? And I said no, you can't. And it was it was almost it it, it almost looked impossible for them, but they made it work. Um, you know, seventy nine distinct blocks of <laughs> depending on where you were on the hillside, whether you're facing one direction or the other. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't, I, I don't think it's the, that, that much of a reach. Uh, I remember when Gallo first started, they had an 800 acre piece of property in Sonoma County that they started out as organic and they, they, they got nervous and they, they went to, um, went to round up and now they're moving away from it again now. So I, I think we're just feeling more, more comfortable with the tools that are available. Yeah, I, I like that story from your book about um, how how bleach was eliminated. Where they were just like, "Well, how are we going to clean it?" And I, I mean, it was basically like at a staff meeting, it, it came out that there was no more bleach in the winery, and you were like, "Well, how are you cleaning these things?" And they were sort of like, "Well, we haven't figured that out. But we just knew that we had to get rid of the bleach," you know. And yeah. it's sort of like they made the decision, and and that was that was all. I mean, that's how you that's 
that's how you move forward. You just decide to stop doing it and then you'll, and then, you know, you will find a solution. You have to find a solution at that point. But if you keep relying on that crutch, so to speak, um, you know, you'll all, it will make that transition harder. You know, you won't be as committed to finding a solution if you have that sort of in your back pocket to pull out whenever you, when the going gets tough kind of thing. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you mentioned climate change and, and, you know, I just, you know, you sort of also mentioned this, the difficulties that probably lie ahead for, uh, conventional agriculture the, it seems like there's an expiration date really to the way that we've been doing things it, both in terms of you know what our soils can sustain but also in the impact that is is you know coming as a result of the farming that we're we still continue to do um, although the wine industry seems like it's I don't, I don't know maybe that's a question for you do you think that there has been a shift in the wine industry in your lifetime and do you see more acceptance and more heading in that direction in a better direction well i think so um you know we're seeing more and more uh certified organic uh, farmers popping up in the in the wine industry um uh, which is really 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 very encouraging um so I read an interesting blog by, uh, or, or actually maybe it's an article by Pam Strayer, who really gets around to the industry in this regard, and and she's um, she's really like a dog on a bone. She <laughs> won't let go, um, and she really is holding people's feet to the fire if they they talk about being sustainable or regenerative or organic. It, she doesn't um, let them get away with um, uh, much <laughs> at all. Right. So, uh, and 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 there's some really some really interesting changes. I, I think I mentioned uh, Gallo is really um, moving as quickly as they can, and um, uh, KJ is a really very big farmer, and they're they're, yeah. they're doing the same thing. They've spent a lot of time with me up in the far up my farm, and. Um, I, I think that they're seeing the seeing that there is a change to the future. What's really hard? It's really hard. I mean, it's even even for myself. I've been in the conversation and understanding and appreciation of what climate change is about for a, quite a long time. I, I was on a, the board for the climate group. Uh, oh gosh, maybe 20, 25 years ago, and uh, we talked about these things that were going to happen. But it would, you know, on some level, I, I got it. But it keeps unfolding from for me as to this incredible impact. I mean, the the, the, the you know the, the fires, the drought um, in in my particular area are just uh, up up in up in Sonoma and Mendocino County are yeah. dramatic. You guys have had some crazy heat this fall as well, right? Oh God, yeah, the heat, 118 degrees at one point, and and yet, um, you know, going out into the vineyards the the following days, um, it's it just it's green leaves, and they're happy, and they're healthy, and they're 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 they they, they didn't suffer suffer at all. So, what one of the things I'll I'll mention is that. Over the period of time we've we've spent uh, farming over the last, I've been farming for twenty five years and longer, been longer as a winemaker is probably forty five years. But the, um, the 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 impact of increasing organic matter in the soil is really significant. You know, when you increase the or, organic matter by one percent in your soil, you increase the water holding capacity by 25,000 gallons per acre. So it really, um, really, really makes a significant difference in, uh, uh, in on, on, on my, my, uh, my home vineyard. Uh, we've, we've went from uh, one to one and a half to four, four and a half percent. And so with that, we were able to take a hillside farm and, and, um, and, and, and dry farm. Right. Uh, right. And, um, 
but here's a here's a here's a story that this this really one of one of my ahas was uh, not this winter but the winter before I was asked by a large very very large farmer it was an 800 acre piece of prop 800 acre vineyard on a 2500 acre piece of ground and he wanted me to come out and see what he was doing and ask me for advice he wanted to know whether he should cultivate or not that that particular year because it was a drought it was a drought year and uh, as we're as we're driving around, it's snowing, <laughs> and and we're at a higher elevation. And he pulled out a shovel and he uh, took a shovel full and turned it over. And I couldn't believe the number of worms. <laughs> now I don't think much about worms. I mean, I read a story about four or five years ago, a guy named Claude Bourguignon. Um, who's a, a, a sort of a farm consultant, farming consultant in, in all kinds of farming, but also in viticulture in Europe, Frenchman. And um, he spoke about worms and the importance of worms and the, the values that they had and in, in, in a vineyard. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. I never, never, never even crossed my mind. And then this, this sort of reinforced it. So I went back to to my hillside farm where I had uh, I had decided about five maybe six years prior to that that I was going to cultivate uh, every other row. So one one row remained permanent over that six year period of time, and then the next row was the one I would cultivate in order to uh, plant my cover crop seed. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, I would shovel full in the in the um, uh, the, the uh, permanent cover, turned it over, and there's like uh, twenty worms in a shovel full. Right. And then in the uh, cultivated, it was about ten, nine or ten worms, sort of on average. <laughs> so I, I just thought, oh my god, you know, th- these worms are magic. The the way they're they're the workforce. They're yeah. the workforce that is, you know, breaking down that organic and, and, and putting it in a, in a state of, 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 of humus so that the, um, the, 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 the uh, microbes have access and the roots have access. Um, so that, that, kind of, that kind of thinking and that kind of shift is, is really, I think, what's ahead of us. And, and I use that, in the, that, that story in the context of it. It builds resilience, resilience, yeah. and restorative value, and and you can go beyond four or five percent organic matter in the vineyard. I, it's it's uh, there's no reason why we can't. Really, most vineyards are because of the cultivation, or maybe maybe as high as two, but generally, hardly ever higher than that. Right. So that sounds like an argument for no-till as well. What you discovered mm. with the worms absolutely my son's taking the whole vineyard no-till this year right on. and um um you know that's a kind of a scary thought but it was a scary thought for me when i just took part of it and primarily because i grew up in um uh, with a lot of uh, old italian farmers as my mentors when it came to farming and they talked about um the idea of cultivating and the importance of sort of building this fluffy layer on the top of the soil. And they use the, the analogy of it's like insulation. Um, the more you put in insulation in your house to keep it cool or, or, or uh, when it's hot and, um, or holding the moisture in. Uh, right. But, you know, we're, we're finding that there's, there's a dynamic that we didn't know about. And, yeah. um, and that, that, that I just described. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that as well. Um, yeah. Even called like a, a dust mulch or something like that. Yeah. They used to um, call that. It was, it was hell walking through when you were, uh, right. to, and particularly some farmers, they would do it so much that, you know, your foot would sink about eight inches in it, you know, right. just like come out with just dirt down in your boots. <laughs> Um, well, I, I guess I, I, the other thing that I think was a big part of, at least towards the end of uh, your book, was 
this how how we have this ability to to shape the future, create the future. And I just wonder what your vision is now. Uh, you know that maybe you're not in that position that you were at Fetzer, but I mean, obviously, you're part of other great organizations that have a big reach. But maybe it's a more general vision that you have for for wine in general. Uh, I'm just curious if you, or maybe maybe it's predictions about the future or your vision for the future. <laughs> oh well okay this will this gets a little dire actually um yeah no i, I it's, i'm right there with you <laughs> it, gets, it gets pretty dire you know we we live it wait let me see we we lived in a past where we could kind of count on certain weather dynamics and uh, those weather dynamics um those weather dynamics of the past don't predict the future. They just don't. And, uh, you know, the emphasis, uh, farmer's almanac, I was like, I mean, it really doesn't, farmer's almanac really doesn't make much sense anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful to read. Um, but the, the direction when we look at trends and we listen to Greg Jones, who's, uh, you know, the fame, you know, really, uh, a huge contribution to the the farming community, the wine growing community, and all the work that he's done um, as a, a, a climatologist. I want to call him a weatherman, but a climatologist. And so we see that you know it it really is changing. And and over the years, I can remember as a young man. Uh, just being so so grateful that I could get my my the sugars and my, my grapes um, to 23 and a half to 24 <laughs> and that was optimum you know and and, yeah. and and the tannins were resolved and they were ripe and so was the fruit and the flavors were great and you know I I just happened I opened a bottle of and an 81 Dolan Cabernet just the other day with some with some friends and I hadn't really tasted it in a while. And I also had a bottle of uh, 82 Latour. Now, mm-hmm. 82 Latour was freaking amazing. Just yeah. an amazing wine. Yeah. And they, 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 my 81 stood up to that, that Latour. It, it just, it, it just, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to pat, pat myself on the back and wax out too eloquent about it. But, that was a that was a time frame um, where you could make wines a particular way. They lasted a long time, but in today's in today's world, you know, you're well. One is uh, winemakers um, are looking for a different flavor profile, but we're kind of forced into this of uh, space where the, the it takes uh, it takes a, a while for the tannins to ripen relative to the to the flavors. And uh, so you end up with, you know, very high sugar fruit, um, right. and it's uh, and, and 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 it's 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 more difficult. It's definitely more difficult to manage. So the but but that 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 that's moving so quickly, and it's moved moved so quickly, you know, a 20, 20, 30 year time frame in the you know in the history of. Of the, in the history of the 7,000 years of history of wine or the history of man or the history of agriculture. It's just, it's just nothing. And um, so when, when, we, when we know that uh, the, the CO2 levels um, uh, 50 to or so maybe 60, 70 years ago or 280 parts per million um, uh, in, in our atmosphere, and now they're four, I don't know, 414 or something like that. So CO2 is definitely climbing in the atmosphere. Um, and it's, uh, as we yeah. know, it's just the burning of fossil fuels. Well, that's changing the climate and it will continue to change and it will continue to cause these catastrophic weather events. And so that's, that's what's super hard to predict. And we have to, we have to become resolved that that's the case. And so therefore, what? Therefore, do I stop farming in a particular area or do I farm something different in that area? Or do I recognize I don't have enough water in that area? Do, uh, uh, and so there's, 
these one is to acknowledge the change and um, and then start to try to put yourself in the place out in the future whether it's you know 30 or 50 years you know in, in, in today's in today's world that's probably about right when you think of legacy legacy farming so my son and I work really very close together I'm 72 he's not quite 50 he's got another I don't know 30 years maybe or something you know we're all living longer yeah. now he's gonna live to 100 I might live to 75 or something yeah. and um, so his his frame of reference is starting to shift and we talk a lot a lot about it and uh, but it's it's not it's not gonna be so it's not gonna be easy uh, farming in itself is a challenge just with weather but now the weather is being impacted by climate change and we don't know what to expect and we don't know how to organize ourselves and so we have to um, uh, uh, um, put ourselves in a different mindset in order to um, uh, ex explore different ways of different ways of farming. Yeah. Is it? I see what you're saying. I mean, it sounds like a, a case for adaptability <laughs> um, and just creative thinking, problem solving. Yeah. Do you do you see a? I mean, do you see us drinking the same wine or 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 wine in even Northern California being what it is now in ten years? Well, yeah. Ten, maybe, maybe not twenty-five though. <laughs> yeah, twenty-five, probably not. Um, yeah. Ten, ten, yes. You know, the cycle of a vine these days is maybe 25 years. Yeah. Um, with the uh, advent of this change of temperature, we're, um, we're creating a different environment for predatory insects um, mm. to yeah. start to show up. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion, conversation. And you know, I and I just, I don't know if we can win, um, yeah. but we're we're uh, we're we're human beings that we we're, we're not going to let go. It's not our nature. It's our nature to be creative, and our, it's our nature to explore. And so we'll find we'll find ways to adapt, and yeah. uh, so it might be different varieties. That, that are that are more rugged, more adaptable, probably varieties that we don't even have now, um, or different uh, different clonal variations. Um, um, Aubert de Villon writes beautifully about um, its importance of sort of identifying plants that exist on the farm that have particular traits and then and then repropagating them um, there's the that wonderful book terroir and the winemaker mm -hmm. and he does a he does a he does a great job with that and i think uh that's going to come into play developing new 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 varieties or adapting the um, certain clones that maybe already exist. Uh, of course, Rootstock has, has a lot to say in it. Root, uh, uh, vine direction, uh, canopy management, all of those things that are, are adaptations that we can in integrate that I think will yeah. help us along the way. Can I ask you, do you think a small producer uh, I mean, do you have any recommendations for a small producer in the wine business, knowing what you know and having worked at the scale that you've worked at in terms of, you know, how to be successful, how to have an impact or how to just survive? <laughs> well, I think the biggest challenge for small producers and, you know, True Hurst is a, definitely a small producer. Yeah. Uh, 
it, the, the, the biggest challenge there is just uh, finding voice. Um, yeah, and the, uh, the dynamics of wine sales has changed so much from the um, distribution wholesale uh, uh, model that that I, I, I you know obviously I was deep into with the large company and then moving to, to smaller brands that I had Savion Republic was a, was a brand that I created that we, we, we created a different model and tourist is, is all direct to consumer now okay um, those uh, those those so you know so those are great models. And, and and we've developed a lot of techniques and a lot of systems and we've built into a, our, our, our plan a lot of communication and so we use what we call e-commerce just uh, uh, it's sort of e-blast and then we have wine clubs and then we have our tasting yeah. room where we we bring people in we have tours we have high-end tastings all of those things all of those trappings one might say and and those are those are all really very important but it's a crowded market yeah it's a it's a very crowded market so uh, the expectation of, of size and um, for this for the small producer is probably is probably a, a critical dis, um, a critical discussion to have and how do you make it how do you make it at a, at a, at a smaller size and is it is it viable you know, and at the end of the day, the, yeah. the proprietor has to decide is is it viable or not. Yeah, yeah, that is tough. <laughs> well, well, it is tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all around. Um, oh, well, I know I need to let you go, so yeah, I just want to I want to thank you for uh, you know the the career of service toward sustainable wine, uh, a sustainable wine industry uh, that you've given all of us here in in the u.s it's uh it's real real uh i I mean a lot of stuff that i'm very grateful that you've done uh to move the needle i think in big ways so thanks for that and thanks for this conversation maybe we can do it again (laughs) well thanks this was super fun i really appreciate it the opportunity i appreciate it appreciate you thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did here's something to think about How would your business change if you immediately adopted a policy of not accepting anything but regeneratively organic fruit as the basis for the wine that you make and sell? What kind of fruit could you use where you are now if you adopted this policy today? What are the elements that would make it possible for you to have this policy? And can you affect any of them today? Something to think about, and thanks again for listening.